Alright, we're back once again with How to Pakistan. I've got Musharraf Zaidi with me and we're doing a new episode today. We're going to be speaking about International Women's Day, but really just about women, their place in Pakistan, their contributions. And Musharraf Zaid, uh, I see that, you know, uh, you're about to sneeze, but would you be willing to introduce, we've got a brilliant guest, female guest. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Thank you, uh, Fasi. We will be talking about International Women's Day and we thought it would be a good idea to do, instead of a build-up to Women's Day or doing a special Women's Day show, we thought it would be interesting if we do kind of a the day after Women's yes. Day. How did the world become better? Yeah. Are we better? I agree. Are we not? And, and we the thought, hangover that women have today, how, what are they doing about it? Because they've celebrated so much just the other day. There's been a great celebration all yes. around the world. And of course, Pakistani women uh, are no less uh, than anyone. In fact, they are more by far than anyone. So yes. yeah, let's, uh, let's introduce our guest. Azima Chima is a teacher and a researcher. She teaches at the National Defense University. Occasionally she writes. She's worked on elections. She's worked at think tanks in Washington, D.C. Uh, she's a real source for me of sort of fact-checking and reality-checking uh, on, on, on a number of things, but particularly on the sort of flow of uh, domestic politics and also the whole U.S.-Pakistan relations thing. So I, I, I have a very high opinion of Azima's opinions, and I thought that as a strong, independent, forceful person who happens to be female... <coughs> What better way? Please cough some more. I apologize. I mean, just, just, cough, just cough some more. Yeah. I also want to say is that I've also got like a bond with Azima. We're both members of the Mira Appreciation Society of Pakistan. And we're actually quite hardcore on that. Mashallah. Welcome to the show, Azima. Thank you for having me. Azima, we'd like to talk to you about International Women's Day. How did you celebrate International Women's Day? I celebrated International Women's Day by going about uh, my day as normal and pretty much staying on top of the news. Uh, I retweeted a few times. But I have to say, my, my one moment... <coughs> oh, you're so sweet. He, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Fasi Zaka has removed the microphone from his chest. Yeah. He's got the microphone in one hand extended all the way to, the, to his left. <coughs> whilst he's extended his face all the way to the right in order to avoid... It's how I plan to laugh in the future as well. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm getting some very negative feedback on the, on the laugh. I can imagine, uh, yeah. No, on your laugh. I know, I know. No, 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 it was, it was actually on mine. People love your laugh, but people are like, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> Azima, so you just went about your day as per usual. I did. I did go about my day. That is not to say women weren't celebrating. Women were. Um, isn't it? Isn't just going about your day like as per usual a celebration of womanhood anyway? It is, but it, it, it's also nice to be able to sit with a couple of women and you know have that bonding moment. However, is this is this what is this what that is that you're sitting with a couple of women and having that bonding moment? Well, it's a poor substitute. Let's just. I say. thought you would say it's actually a pretty decent. I think it's a great <coughs> expression of sort of Women's Day for you to be able to confidently assert that you're sitting currently with a couple of women hmm. bonding because that's 
I mean, at a spiritual level, that's how I feel about this this coming together of minds. We're just really comfortable in our skin. We, I, <laughs> I, I mean, I am a little bit. Yes. Not yes. as not as much <laughs> as I am. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I often often think about, like International Women's Day, I think there was a bit of um, relevance and resonance this time around because you've got. Uh, Nargis uh, with the gravitational thing, you've got Shadmin, you've got, uh, you know, a number of little initiatives, including the legislation. So it somehow seemed right this year. And, but one of the things I found interesting is that like... You know, there was a girl that was killed in Lahore. Yes. In an honor killing. Yeah. Around the same time. No, I agree. I mean, but at the same time, uh, I think that there were reasons for this to suddenly resonate a bit more because I think it did resonate more this year than at least what I remember from the year before. It and was also, if you'll allow me, an interesting juxtaposition. Well, it's interesting that you say, if we'll allow you. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that giving up the agency of, of women all around the world to say that two men would need to allow you to speak? Isn't that like a disempowerment just from a linguistic perspective? If you think about the fact that a woman on this show had to say, yeah. if you'll allow me, shame on you, Fasi Zaka. Well, I allow you if that's what you're asking. <laughs> <laughs> this is where your whole you have my permission. <laughs> this, is, this is your whole pachtun. Listen, sister, I'm with you. These, these pachtuns, they're like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, poor pachtuns. By the way, yeah. you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to cut us, you're gonna have to cut us off and just jump in. Absolutely, yeah. and which is what I did. I just made myself sound good. It was you. very polite. <laughs> it was very polite. You mustn't but, be so polite. But no, I think it's it's interesting because yes, there was a girl killed. But there was also a decision taken by the court to, to punish somebody, to punish yes. somebody for honor killing. So, yes, a lot of things came, you know, uh, um, around at the same time. And there were a lot of women who were being celebrated at the same time. But, you know, my quiet sort of connection with International Women's Day yesterday, I had this little virtual moment where and a lot of appreciation for Mahin Ghani Tasir. Mm. Because when the news came of Shabazz Tassir finally being found and released and, you know, that, that he's going to be brought home, you have to appreciate, uh, I, I don't know her at all, but you have to appreciate a woman, young, you know, newly married, young bride, loses her father-in-law and then her husband, five years, is away and she, and through what I've seen, has demonstrated this steadfast loyalty to him, that I think it's just, it's phenomenal. And I think that's the kind of thing that needs appreciation, and his mother as well. The mother, the sisters, and actually even the brother, Sherry, uh, mm -hmm. the other one uh, whose name I forget right now. Uh, I mean, the fact that, you know, when they were talking, not... Sherry. Sherry, yes. Yeah. Uh, the fact that they were taking, uh, you know, they were being very considerate about, you know, their troubles and what they're looking for. And I think that was important. But I just wanted to add one thing, which was, a couple of years ago, I used to say this thing just to be cool, like uh, it's May Day and you know, why are we getting holidays, you know, the help should be getting it. And two years ago, that's what I started, right? People in uh, May Day is a holiday for them because I don't understand why I'm getting a holiday for a, what is essentially something for people who, you know, who've got a, who are not part of the bourgeoisie, but there's labor. And I'm just wondering, like, what is it about Women's Day as well? Because one of the critiques that keeps coming in is that, you know, it's like a really upper scale NGO auntie kind of day. And really, it's much more than that. And I'm wondering, what is it that can be done that can make this day much more meaningful also? 
uh, for different stratums of society. I mean, I think the point that Azima just made is to actually look at you know women. As soon as you made that point, I mean, it's true that Tafsirs have been through a lot, and and God bless them, you know, and thank God that uh, the young man is back with his family, and it's going to be a long period of for readjustment. But you know, that made me think about all the widows. Mm-hmm. Our our sort of soldiers have left behind. Yeah. You know, I I, I think his name is Osman. Um, Major Usman, uh, there was a recent helicopter crash, crash yeah. and one of the occupants of the helicopter was a major, Major Usman, who had come out unscathed, but he knew that there were people inside. Yeah. So he yeah. went into the burning helicopter and he pulled out, he saved two people who, who came out like scratchless or whatever, very minor injuries. But in the process of going in twice and getting those people out, he sustained a bunch of uh, burns. And he, and he died from those burns. He leaves behind two little girls and, and a wife. And that's one story among thousands. There's been at least, I think there's been over 7,000 fatalities within the armed forces. You think of all those women at home, the mothers of those, of those brave men, the wives, uh, some of them pregnant, you know, when they've been away, and, and the children that they leave behind. You also think of just victims of terrorism in general and victims of violence, you know, uh, so many sort of attacks on places of worship. Uh, again, a lot of the, there's been an inordinate number of men that have died as opposed to women because our public life limits the space for women, so most attacks take out more men than they do women. And in each case, what's left behind are, 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 mourning, are mourning women who have to raise families and just, yeah, I mean, I've always yeah, felt Pakistani women in ha- particular. War has a way of having a, a disproportionate impact on women in the long term because of the, the, the number of men who die. But also, even outside of war, you know, Pakistan is a country where, where every day, is a struggle for for subsistence for so many people. Just think of all of those women and families who are just one illness of the breadwinner away from facing poverty. And you know, and and then if that leaves, you know, the the, the lady of the house in charge, she gets up, does what she needs to do. And I think the whole International Women's Day what it should mean in a celebration or or what it should mean in terms of a holiday. I, I think it's much more poignant if we just take a moment, men and women both, and just recognize that every woman out there is doing her bit and trying to do the best that she can in her circumstances. I agree. I think one of the other things that really gets to me is this idea that you know women are weaker or the weaker sex, and they did this experiment recently where uh, women who've been through childhood, childbirth, so they uh, give currents to just show like you know what is the level at which the pain of childbirth is, and then they give those currents to men, right? And we stop at five six, we're like we can't deal with this anymore, and just this idea of like you know this sort of weakness in that once you actually use science to enumerate what strength is or what level that you can take uh, to go forward. It's always been interesting that you know, men turn out to be fairly weak, actually. They can't go through that particular uh, 
uh, amount of pain. Well, I, I agree with that completely, but I also think sometimes that this kind of, uh, these kinds of narratives aren't necessarily helpful. If the challenge or the project is to convert <coughs> people who are likely to be misogynists in, into people who, who empower women, and, and who, who enable you know, women, especially the women around them, younger sisters, moms, wives, that there are other, this competitive narrative for me is, you know, I, I mean, I think it's, it's absolutely correct, but I'm, I'm, I just wonder how useful it is. I think for me, the thing that, you know, when I think about this, and it's a brilliant point that Azima's raised, you know, this, the fact that if you look around, this, idea of powerful women is all around us and and because of the kind of hackneyed trite nature of the way women's day tends to be presented especially again within the english language discourse in pakistan it seems like you ha literally have to be associated with with a number of specific ngos before sort of you recognize for 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 your for your power as as a woman um Two things that I'm really proud of as a Pakistani, the Lady Health Worker Program and Benazir Income Support Program, both of which are centered around the role of women, not just as recipients of assistance from the state and from the taxpayer, but as empowers of other women. The Lady Health Workers Program created employment, but it also became an instrument of reaching other women. So it was women reaching out to women on behalf of the state. And with BISP, you know, the, the subsistence that's being awarded through the BISP grants, the cash grants, is actually being given to women-led households, households where women are the principal breadwinners. I think that's an amazing, for, for, you know, for all the criticism that we indulge in of, of the state, those are two amazing programs, and I guess one obviously wishes that they were much more powerful, that, you know, if the Vasilai Talim grant is at 250 rupees, it should be 2,500, obviously. If the Lady Health Worker Program reaches X number of districts, it should reach X plus, you know, YZ number of districts. But the fact that this state, which seems to be so bad at so many things, can conceive of these programs and execute them to an extent, I think it's an amazing, it's an amazing feat. No, I agree. Uh, I agree. And it's also about recognizing that there are male-only spaces and female-only spaces in society. However, there is a way to, that, uh, for instance, the way the Citizens Foundation has done, there's a way to integrate those spaces, particularly for schools. They run co-ed schools in rural areas and uh, areas, you know, where, where the population is largely, the community is largely impoverished, and they hire only female teachers in order to do so, yeah. so you know, that people will continue to send their daughters and, 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 and send their boys at the same time, and no one will have an objection. But I want to come back to one point. I know Fassi wants to say something, but I want to come back to that one point that Musharraf... Uh, raised, how do you do that advocacy for women? For instance, I'll give you an example. I'd like to be able to win over Maulana Saab. I'd like to be able to win over Maulana Fazlur Rahman Saab and his arguments on the Women's Protection Bill. How do we go about doing that advocacy? And I think Musharraf is, <laughs> is the guy to ask. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I think with a lot of the stuff that I've learned about advocacy and 
engaging in the public discourse from, from what I'm doing these days and just over the course of one's life. I think you do need to win over Maulana Saab. But I also think that he's not the first one you need to win over. Maulana Saab is a politician. In fact, every, every public figure, in a sense, is a politician insofar as even if you're not involved in politics, electoral politics, you're involved in shaping the public discourse, right? And there's a lot of people that we need to convince. If the environment around Maulana Saab changes, Maulana Saab changes as well. We know this because there's empirical evidence of it. That, that conservative voices and conservative views, I guess in some ways, are only as conservative as society allows them to be. So we can either approach Maulana Saab frontally by challenging everything that he stands for and trying to undermine the platform that he stands upon, or we can go about reshaping the platform that he stands upon so that what he stands upon and for begins to shift over time. The challenge is Maulana Saab is from southern KP, right up against the tribal belt. How many of us have been to Banu or Lucky Marwat or Dera Ismail Khan? And so that's where I think it starts getting complicated, right? Like you really, the question, and this is why there's, an, there's a degree of alienness to the way that we talk about International Women's Day. Like what about Pakistani Women's Day? Would it be called Fatma Jinnah Day or would it be called Hazrat Khadija Day? Would it be called Hazrat Aisha Day? Would you know, it be, you yeah, know? I, I just want to add one thing to this. I've, I thought it was really instructive. There was this experience where Deepika in India had this, she was part of this like I'm a woman campaign and what it meant. Sorry, who's Deepika? I, I can't pronounce her last name, Padakone or something. Oh, yeah, the, the, the actress, actress yeah. right? I thought there was like, because I was just in India, so when yeah. you just say Deepak, I was like, oh, okay, I know one at least. So right, so, so anyhow, but, but eventually it was this other actress, Sanakshi Sena, who said, you know, like, forget about all of this. If you really want women's empowerment, the key thing is economic rights. And again, when you look at even KP and when you look at all these people and how they react to women, one of the reasons is, is that they're also marginalized economically. If you can secure property rights for them, that itself would be a significant step change for a lot of these women. Because if you look at the way social rules sometimes are, some women are exempt, one of the ways is, is that of course it's an elite function, but it's also an economic function that you can actually get away with certain things and not. And I've often wondered is that, you know, if you're really looking to empower people in Pakistan, one of the critical areas is that, you know, whether it's inheritance rights, whether it's property rights, these are things that really need to be secured, uh, partly for women to increase their negotiating power, because otherwise it's just, you know, the whole advocacy thing. But it's also a question of like, you know, how powerful are they in their local areas? So when you look at places like Lucky Marwat and whatever, if they have the ability to actually say, you know, buy, sell, uh, run their lands, it'll make a significant difference. It won't be easy, but it's one of the key parameters that need to be addressed. Absolutely. I, I also think people often undermine this idea somehow that women in places of power, positions of power, one instrument of undermining them is, hey, she's someone's daughter, she's someone's wife, that's why she's in that position. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And particularly for... Uh, women who go into the field, right? It's very easy to go into the field and have your voice co-opted by, 
you know, some some well-intentioned gentleman who says, "Nay, ji, aap meri beti hai. I will then speak for you. I will protect you from from having to go out." Um, and so, I mean, but there are ways around it. The key thing is that institutions like political parties continue to give women that space. No, but what I was saying, yeah. Azima, I think what you said was, was brilliant, but what I was saying was within political parties, if we continue a tradition of, of Benazir being Zulfikar, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto's daughter and hence being in a position of power, of Asifa being the daughter of Asifa Lezardari and hence being in a position of power. I've just used two PPP examples, but you had the same thing in uh, in the ANP with Begum, yeah. uh, Begum uh, Nasim, Wali. Nasim Wali Khan. You have the same thing in the PMLN with the emergence of Mariam Nawaz Sharif, with the emergence of Hamza. Uh, the men is not so important, but I, obviously the men are important. What I'm trying to say is a lot of women assume positions of power because of their familial ties or their genetic ties to an, a man in power. And I think this anti-dynasty, dynasty, that's another Yeah, word, that's another uh, word. Dynasty, anti-dynasty uh, uh, discourse. I actually don't have that big a problem with someone's daughter or wife, with Khalda Zia or with Hasina Wajid. I, I don't, I don't see the, the deep sort of. But problem. I think the root of this is also is that the dynastic element is there for the men as well, but whereas it's pointed out, rather in a you know much more, uh, say uh, extreme fashion, it's when the women benefit from it. Yeah, I'd say fussy. However, there is a, um, you know, when you look at women in politics, you see a disproportionate number of women who have dynastic ties or who have familiar ties, uh, familial ties. But the problem isn't that women are, you know, only coming to positions of power uh, because of familial ties. It's that only women with familial ties are coming to power, and that is because there is a restriction of space for women. With, from the political parties, as electoral candidates, women don't get pushed that much. Women don't get that space. And it's not actually against the public interest or completely contrary to public opinion. No, we know people will go out and vote for women. It depends on the candidate, of course, it depends on the biradri, it depends on the family, it depends on what she stands for. All of those things matter, but political parties have to do a little bit more. In no, terms I agree. Of giving them the, that space. They do, but what I'm saying is that I'm uh, not that I'm satisfied with what women who who were daughters or wives of, of famous and powerful men. I'm not satisfied with what they've delivered. But if you look at the quantum of their delivery, it's it is incredible. That's there right. is no lady health worker program if Benazir Bhutto isn't your prime minister. Sure. There is no health insurance program of the kind that's been launched recently by the Prime Minister that's going to cover millions eventually if Mariam Nawaz Sharif isn't in the Prime Minister's office. It's just, that's just fact. We, we know this to be fact. Women There's struggle and, and, and do a lot of re legislation. Women's, women show up to Parliament. We know that. And, and then it applies to women who are not sort of there because of their familial ties. Marvi Memon is running BISP and there's been a huge expansion in what they're trying to do and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Marvi is a woman. Farzana Raja, you know, two, two BISP chairmans ago, it was Farzana Raja who was doing this. I think it's incredibly important to consider the impact of women leading organizations. Shamshad 
Akhtar, who was the first female governor of the State Bank of Pakistan, is the reason that we have the kind of regulatory framework that we do today for microfinance, which disproportionately benefits women entrepreneurs and, and poor, uh, poor women that are leading households. So I think across the board, public policy, there's enough evidence within Pakistani public policy that women in leadership positions ends up having a net positive impact, at least on social sector programming from the private sector. I think one uh, other sorry, thing that's also interesting is that, you know, whereas we've got a lot of problems here in Pakistan, but there's also lessons to be learned where Pakistan has probably outpaced the world in some questions of yeah. women's identity and progress. So in the West especially, there's a very strong prejudice in educational institutions that women in particular are not naturally suited for STEM subjects like science, technology, engineering, and things like that. And then as a result of which, a lot fewer women end up pursuing careers in mathematics and other areas, and especially in programming and computer science. But if you look at Pakistan, where that prejudice does not really have root, right now our computer science programs in the University of Peshawar and other areas, it's like 60% women. It, whereas in the US and other countries, it can be as low as 13%, to, you know, 26, 28, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a very instructive, I think, for the rest of the world as well. You know, The Economist has done a bunch of uh, infographics and, and some studies on this as well. Globally, there's been an, a massive increase in the number of girls outperforming boys, and the, um, the whole quantum of girls at higher education levels. Well, the Caribbean uh, will become a matriarchy because their higher education is now absolutely dominated, dominated yeah. by women. Yeah, and, and so one of the public policy challenges is now how to get young boys to be better at school, how to, how to get them to pay attention. The, yeah. This is a major public policy challenge. It won't change the fact, the, the fact that there's been a, a net shift, a quantum shift in education trends in favor of girls and women doesn't change the fact that we need to keep paying very, very close attention to how, in our micro context and in our macro context, how women are treated, how we talk about women, how we treat women. Uh, that I think that'll continue to be a challenge regardless of how well girls yeah. are doing. So I think we'll come to a close, but we're going to ask uh, Azima to provide some parting thoughts before we sign off. I mean, I would just close with I mean, saying that this conversation, it touched on a lot of things, and there's some paths that we tend to go down, which are the competitive nature of the discourse between men and women, or, or, or the power discourse. But at the end of the day, when you come back to International Women's Day, I mean, I, 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 I want to say that because women have less space, all those ordinary women who uh, literally just go about their day and do what they do every day, become extraordinary because of the challenges and, 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 and the way they are ignored and the way they are excluded and stuff. It, they become extraordinary. So I'd say Women's Day, it's really about the ordinary women and just taking you know, a moment to pause and just think about that. I think that's absolutely great. I think we're going to sign off now. Azima, it was brilliant. And everyone, we're going to be coming back soon with another episode. And happy Women's Day. And every day doesn't have to be Women's Day, but celebrate it like it is. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us, Azima. This was a fantastic conversation. God bless you, everyone. Khuda Hafiz.